You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. What's up, watchers? Welcome back to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the podcast where we discuss the movies that we all love, secretly love, and love to hate. I'm your host, Jeremy, along with my brother, Josh, and we have yet another fantastic episode ready for you. Yes, and in case you're new to the show, we like to try and discuss movies that have been around for at least 10 years or so. We like to rate these movies in three categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? Number three, for personal enjoyment. So Jeremy, I've been doing a lot of fishing with my kids recently, and I'm in, I'm kind of in the mood to hook a whopper of a movie today. Can you help me out here? Well, Josh, I think I have the perfect movie for you. We're going to dive back into the year 2003 and check out a film from one of your favorite directors. When he's not running the rooftops with a caped crusader, giving haircuts to suburban housewives, or chasing down headless horsemen, he likes to relax down by the sea with the demon barber of Fleet Street and drop a line in the water. I hope everyone is using their favorite rod and reel right now, because today we're hauling in Tim Burton's Big Fish. Hot dang! Woo, that's a humdinger. Thank you kindly, sir. <laughs> that reminds me of the, the, the line from Oh Brother Out. That where he's like, Pot that's dog! It. It's the soggy <laughs> bottom, boys! <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of my inspiration there. Yeah, that was a that was a, that was a We're definitely redoing that movie. I'm adding that to the list. Yes, All right. For sure. So this one, I think this one is more special to you regarding this because Tim Burton is one of your favorite directors. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he has been one of your favorite directors for quite some time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, there's not too many of his movies that I, well, I don't think there's, I don't know. I don't think there's any that I hate. There's definitely some that I don't like as much. Mm -hmm. And then there's quite a few that I really, really like. Yeah. I think he definitely, for me, he had a hot streak for quite a while, and then he has seemed to cool off in recent years. I, But that's me personally, though. Sure. So, yeah. So where were you when you first saw this movie? Like, what was your, what was the sitch? Give us the deets. The deets? Well, yeah. um... Honestly, I can't remember. I just. <laughs> oh, come this on, man. I gave you a great buildup. That was like. <laughs> it was a soft toss. Here you go. Real easy one. For right. Me. Where were you? All right. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. It's. I. I mean, I remember when it came out and I enjoyed it. And it was. I, yeah, I can't think of any memorable. <laughs> th I mean, it was the year after I got married, so I'm probably, I probably watched it with my wife. Mm hmm. Um,. A lot of movies before that, I would usually rent with my buddy. Or I mean, there, there's definitely movies that Trinity and I would rent too. This actually might have been one that it probably was one that we rented together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that it. That's kind of funny because I think the first movie that I actually ever watched at your guys's house after you were married was the first Tim Burton Batman movie. Oh wow! So yeah, that movie creeped me out. Like that was a good time. <laughs> that was one of Trinity's very favorite movies for a long time. It's a good movie, and like it was cool that I was young enough, or I should say, had not watched enough movies that I was actually creeped out by it. Because now it's like it's good cheesy, but yeah. Um, but it yeah. Anyways, that's that's funny. I I need to stop reviewing other movies in during this podcast. That would be <laughs> probably a good thing to stop doing. So it's all right. We just like to drop teasers and and oh yeah, for people to pick up. Yes, absolutely. All right, so I got a little bit of a story about when I first saw this movie. I saw cool. this movie, like, okay, so I used to go to, when I first really got into movies uh, around probably in high school, I'd go to the theater and just stay at the theater all day and watch movies all day, like, every other weekend. So I buy, buy one ticket in the morning and then... <laughs> yeah, buy one. Hop, hop screens all day. Right, exactly. I, that's, Classic. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Mm. <laughs> so... <laughs> Right. Um, you were never caught, so... I was never caught, yeah. So, uh, anyways, yeah, good good Christian upbringing. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> but um, yeah, that, the first time I saw this, though, they had like a huge uh, cardboard cutout, and it said Big Fish, and it was the front cover that's on the DVD of like the, the trees, and I was like, that's really weird looking, and I saw it said Tim Burton, and I was like, well, I'll probably definitely check that out, and then I ended up not actually seeing this movie until years later, I think I was just buying movies randomly, and I bought it. And I watched it and didn't really think about it too much. It didn't blow me away at the time. But then uh, my wife actually really likes this movie a lot. And so I ended up buying it when um, uh, I ended up buying it when I was working at Half Price Books. And they had like a cool special edition. So I bought that. And then, yeah, we actually finally watched this movie last week. And I'm excited to talk about it because there's a, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. Awesome. Yeah, my family, i.e. my wife and children, also love this movie. It's uh, it's definitely a, a family favorite, which I will get into in depth when we discuss it. In fact, my kids really wanted to be a part of this podcast and chip in a little bit. So I, I have a couple couple little thoughts from them towards the end of my, my little review. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So you got any, uh, you got any, any trivia for us? So, yeah, let me just... Uh, let me just coat the entrance of this movie real quick with some information it was obviously directed by tim burton it was going to be directed by steven spielberg but then he he backed out due to working on like 37 movies at the same time right as i beginning to understand most directors are like that they constantly have something that they're working on in the pocket like uh for one of my, my one of my favorite directors Guido del toro he's like always got seven projects he's working on and most right. of the time unfortunately you only see like one or two of those out of the seven because he has to move on to budget constraints times all that good stuff right so uh yeah let's see what we got here this movie had a budget of 70 million and it made a box office worldwide of 123 million nine hundred and fifty four thousand dollars so it was definitely it's not like a runaway hit, but it's a beloved movie. A lot of people right. have fond memories of this movie. So it's sitting at like 75% somewhat on Rotten Tomatoes. So it had a, it's like, it's, yeah, it's got a, it got a good reception. So I also wonder if, and I mean, we'll, I guess we'll discuss this a little bit more when we're giving it our rating for did it hit its mark. I sort of feel like this movie's been a slow burn as far as popularity goes. People, you know, it's it's kind of a feel good movie. It kind of takes you back a little bit when you watch it. So I almost wonder if this movie has gotten more popular in a, I guess you, I guess a cult classic kind of way. Over yeah, time. yeah, we'll we'll definitely dive into that at the end of this, uh, at the end of the cast podcast. That is, I'm trying to mm. work up new cool words. So <laughs> um, let's see what we got here. Uh, I think that's about. I don't have too much actually about the release of this movie. Um, except, oh, yeah, it's based off the book written, it's based off the book Big Big Fish, written by Daniel Wallace. Did you get a chance to read it? I didn't. Uh, Trinity read this book a while ago, and she actually, she was so surprised because she really did not like the book compared to the movie. She thought the movies, I mean, this never happens, but she thought the movie was so much better. In fact, her opinion was she was amazed that Tim Burton was able to find enough to make such an enjoyable movie out of that book so what what did you think about it i thought the same thing about twilight actually i was no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) Um, i thought for sure you were gonna say the matrix but (laughs) yeah the movie is better than the book yes (laughs) um i totally agree with her because i read this book actually like the the night after i read or watched the movie it's not a it's not a long book it's a pretty fast read and it is literally a bunch of short stories with a little bit of a linear plot of the main character talking to his dad when his dad's on his deathbed. And this is where, unlike last episode, where we were dogging on this screenwriter for The Patriot, on we just yeah. felt like he just um, he bit off a little bit more than he could chew. Um, this one is the opposite. Like, massive props to John August, the screenplay writer of this. I would almost say he should get a credit as... Um, not just screenplay, but as a screenwriter. I said that backwards, but uh, screen sure. story, uh, because he does he fleshes out so many of the stories. He connects them all really, really well. The character of the father is completely different because in the book he's kind of a it's kind of a selfish person. I mean, it's a 
it is a good book for discussion. Personal enjoyment, though, I'd never read it again. But right. but definitely, like he like for okay for so for example, I'll talk about that later. Remind me to get back into the differences between the book and the movie later because sure. I do I do have a lot to talk about that because it is drastically different. Uh, so okay, so let me run through the cast real quick. Uh, we got a powerhouse cast of Ewan McGregor, Helen Bonham Carter, Albert Finney, Matthew McGrory, Billy Crudup, Allison Lohman, Jessica Lange, Marianne Cotard, Steve Buscemi, and Danny DeVito. So that's like the thing that's cool too is uh, I didn't know that for Marianne Cotard, this is her first American movie, which is why I didn't remember she was in this movie. Right. Because she went on to such bigger roles like Inception and all the other movies I can't think of right now that she's in. <laughs> but she's right. a very memorable actress, but I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I just don't remember the names right now. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, I, I got to jump in. You're missing one key actress that really impacted the movie, uh, being a, the cultural phenomenon that she is. Um, I think I know where you're going with this, but go ahead. Okay. Miley Cyrus. Dude, yeah. I was watching the freaking movie, and I was like, that's Miley Cyrus. And my wife's right. like, oh, my God, you're right. And yes, that is Miley little, Cyrus. Little Ruthie. Little Ruthie. Little yeah. Ruthie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it just, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then, like, we kept watching the movie, and we're like, oh, dude, that's Roy from The Office. So. Right. Which is pretty funny. Which that guy's in a lot more stuff, though, um, as well. Unfortunately, just like The Office, he also <laughs> loses <laughs> loses his his uh, fiance. So that's kind of weird. I think that guy. I, actually, I can't think of any role where he's not like some sad sack loser of a person. I can actually. Yeah. Shout out to uh, shout out to. Gosh dang it! I just forgot his name because I'm that big of a fan. I'm just kidding. Okay. Shout out to Michael Bay. Not a big fan of his a lot of his movies. But if you watch the movie 13 Hours, which is a phenomenal movie, and... Oh, yeah, he is in that one. He's actually in that movie, along with right. him from The Office, and he, um, they, um, yeah, he just plays, like, a regular soldier in that, and uh, fantastic job. That is a sweet movie right there. Like, that is right. the, the least Michael Bay movie that I can say, and that is a tribute to Michael Bay right there. Like, it's great Right, film. that he was able to un-Michael Bay his film. Yeah, I, th I think it's because he took it serious. Uh, I enjoy it when directors try to do something totally different from their normal, like, shtick. And with that one, it was not a big blockbuster of a movie. It's based off a true tragedy of a story. Right. And uh, fantastic film, though. Anyways. Yeah, so, I, you know, Roy from The Office, I apologize. You were awesome in that movie, because I do love that movie. It's right. it's amazing. So, all right. We're, we're batting a 1,000 on movies we can't remember and <laughs> actors we can't recall either. Yes, if you guys are doing a drinking game, start it with that, because that might be a new trend. Hey, that guy from that movie. Yeah. Right. I love his acting. we forget names. Yes, yes. It's Along either, with mispronouncing them. Yeah, mi forget or mispronounce. What's worse? You can decide. Right. Let us know in the comments. Or Just to, don't, end up, don't end up in a hospital with alcohol poisoning, please. All right. I all right. think that's about it. I got a lot of other uh, trivia that we'll go into as we talk through the movie. Okay, that sounds good. Well, I'm going to jump into the, the synopsis then. Um, sounds good. One, thi one thing I'm going to say here, if you've seen this movie and you don't want to hear the plot, go ahead and skip ahead a minute or two. Uh, otherwise, if you don't know this movie, here's a little breakdown. So, so by, the, Fish, by the way, just real quick, yeah, that it's exactly a minute and seven seconds long that Josh is going to be talking, so... <laughs> No pressure, Josh. <laughs> okay, he starts start the stopwatch. Here we go. And go. <laughs> okay. Big Fish is the story of Edward Bloom, a man who lived a larger-than-life life, or so his stories would say. His son Will thinks that his father is a total liar and probably a terrible person who invented all these stories to cover up a lifetime of indiscretions. Edward's stories are full of humor and fantasy. The first story in the movie is told at his son's wedding. Edward is fishing for a giant catfish during the birth of his son. This colossal fish ignores all types of bait, and Edward results to using his wedding ring as the lure to finally bring in this fish. The moral of the story being that sometimes the only way to catch the uncatchable woman, you have to offer her a wedding ring. Now, Will is fed up with these, all these attention-seeking stories and subsequently moves with his wife to France. He doesn't speak to his father for three years until one day he receives a call that his father is dying. 
On the plane ride home, Will remembers a story that his father had told him. In this story, a young Edward looks into the glass eye of a witch and sees his future death. When Will and his wife Josephine arrive home, his father continues to, t continues to tell them the story of his life. There's a story about a furious growth spurt that leaves him bedridden for three years. A story of how he then became a hometown sports legend. A story of how his ambition drives him to leave his hometown to see the world. He leaves town with a misunderstood giant named Carl and ends up in a hidden gem of a town called Spectre. In this perfect, idyllic town, he meets a poet named Norther Winslow and a little girl named Jenny. The townspeople beg him to stay, but Edward knows he has more adventures ahead, but promises Jenny he'll return someday. The next story is how he and Carl end up at a circus, where Carl finds his life's work and Edward sees his future wife, Sandra. Edward ends up working for the circus owner, who knows Sandra's father and pays Edward's wages with information about who Sandra is and what she likes. The subsequent stories include Edward's courtship of Sandra, marriage proposal, being drafted into the army for the Korean War, his time in the army, and when he returns home. The next set of stories involve his time as a traveling salesman. He also runs into the poet Norther Winslow and is sucked into robbing a bank. He also finds his way back to the town of Spectre, which has fallen on hard times. He rescues the town and developed a close friendship with the little girl Jenny, who's now grown up. When Jenny tries to take the relationship to the romantic level, Edward gently shuts her down, telling her that his wife Sandra is the only woman for him. That's the last time he sees her. At this time in the movie, Will has been investigating the events of his father's life and finds out about Jenny. Thinking she and his father had an affair, he tracks her down. Jenny sets the record straight, and Will starts to believe that his father was actually a good man. When Will returns home after seeing Jenny, he discovers that his father has had a stroke and is in the hospital in a coma. His mother says her goodbyes to his father, and then Will sits by his father's bedside, waiting for him to wake up or to pass. Miraculously, Edward wakes up and asks Will to tell him the final story of his life. Through tears, Will tells his father of their imagined daring escape from the hospital to the nearby river, where everyone from Edward's past is there to see him off. Will takes Edward into the river, where Edward transforms into, the giant cat into a giant catfish and swims away. Edward is satisfied with this and passes peacefully. At the funeral, Will is shocked to see the real-life versions of all the characters in his father's stories come to pay their respects and tell their own stories involving Edward. Will is comforted and relieved to finally know what kind of man his father was and, imp and the impact he had on everyone he came into contact with. Man. There you go. I don't know how you did it. That was exactly a minute and seven seconds. Oh, my man. goodness. Yes. No, don't look at the clock. That was amazing. All right. <laughs> so, but yeah, and I only tripped over my tongue a handful of times. Right. That was a. That was actually pretty. That was almost as interesting as the movie. It was pretty good. <laughs> Don't say that, man. <laughs> no one's gonna watch the movie now. Oh dang it! <laughs> All right. Sorry, Tim Burton. All your hard work. Ah, screw it. The movie, the movie came out in two thousand and three, so they made their money. <laughs> so I just um, okay. So let me. I just want to jump in right now. This is one thing I do remember from the movie, clearly, that I really thought was hilarious, and it's probably one of the funniest part of the movies, is when Edward is working at the circus, and he's trying to find information about the woman he loves, and the Danny DeVito's like, she likes daffodils. And then he's like, looks up in the air, and he's like, daffodils. And then they have that scene with him cleaning up after the elephants, and the elephant takes a crap like right next to him, <laughs> right. and he's just looking off into space, and he's all happy, and he's like daffodils like that was <laughs> totally like the elephant was about to start pooping and they were like no roll roll the tape roll tape right so he just acted and they, right they kept through. it in the movie so one thing i was going to say about british actors um namely ewan mcgregor and helena bonham carter who are uh, prominently featured in this movie uh ewan mcgregor who plays the younger version of edward british people do the best southern accents they are so good. I mean, I, am I, they're almost better than real Southerners. It's incredible. So, not to shoot you down, but <laughs> I think Ewan McGregor is Scottish, actually. And as along ah, with potato, potato, <laughs> don't shoot me, don't and shoot along, me. <laughs> along with Albert Finney, I believe. I think both of them are actually Scottish, Scottish, Scottish. So yeah. So, but anyways, I totally agree, though. It's yeah. 
Actor, actors from the United Kingdom. Yes, fantastic. Uh, same. I mean, there's so many, so many actors that are not American that have fabulous American accents. Not Jason Statham, but like Hugh no. Jackman and lots of other actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really good. <laughs> lots of lots of other actors. Yes, um, yes. in the world. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. No, I'm just kidding. He has an amazing American accent. Amazing, flawless, flawless accent. So one thing I wanted to jump into at the beginning of this movie, this is this is where this particular movie is super special to me, to my wife, to my two daughters. But Albert Finney, who plays the the older version of of Edward, is totally our grandfather, sir. That's what I was thinking, too, when I was watching this movie. Every time we watch this, we're always looking at each other like, oh, that's so sir. Because not that not that our grandfather told stories that were, uh, you know, fantastical tales of his youth or anything like that or, or made up things like that. He just he was just an amazing storyteller and he could tell some kind of mundane little story and it was so entertaining and he would. He would tell these stories that, that were funny, things that happened to him when he was a kid or his brother or, or his dad, and um, just always making you laugh. And all. And he could, he could tell the same story 20 times, and it was always engaging. So that's that's what Albert Finney does as he delivers these these stories. He's just, in my opinion, I, I'm, I guess, the kind of person that gets totally sucked into someone who talks tells stories like that. Yeah, as long as they, they've got it. Not everybody can tell a story, and it just totally grabs you and i i totally i totally agree with you because that's what i thought of too which a little backstory real quick on our grandpa uh he hated the idea of getting older so he didn't want to be called grandfather or grandpa so he really liked the movie to serve with love that the respect that people had towards the main character in that movie and so the that we i actually have not seen that movie yet i still need to watch that movie right i'm kind of there no i just i know all about it i even (laughs) <laughs> I even own it now, and I still haven't watched it because I feel like it's going to be super emotional. So I kind of want to be in the right yeah. space, have yeah. the right size box of tissue that I know I'm going to need. Exactly, when I watch it. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that that's why though he he liked that movie a lot, and so that's why he decided to be called Sir. Which I didn't even think about it until I was like nine, and we were working at a we were doing a garage sale, and I was calling out to him to get his attention, and I was like. Sir, sir, I need your help. And this other guy was like, "What? You need help?" And it like <laughs> never dawned on me before that that like, "Oh, wait, our grandpa's name, we call him Sir," which to me that was just that was his name. Like I never thought right. about it. And right. so, anyway, super cool guy and uh passed away a few years ago. So, yeah, I I agree. Um yeah, strong feelings with just seeing Albert Finney and uh, this connection. I totally see that. So, yeah, that definitely it's it, every time my family watches this, we're always in tears. And I, I mean, I think we would have been in tears. Gosh, I don't know. Since he passed. I, don't, I mean, we probably would have before he passed, but definitely since he's passed and we miss him still. And it's uh, it's a beautiful story and it definitely en- encapsulates a lot of who our grandfather was. So, yeah, uh, yeah I love a good yarn. I love a good storyteller. Um, I, a good storyteller is priceless, I think. Yes. Yes, he was. He was a, a he didn't sing, but I'd call him a bard for sure because he, he was a good storyteller. Sure, um, uh, I think Tim Burton's storybook Americana really sucks you in, and in this movie in particular had a very kind of Norman Rockwell kind of vibe to a lot of it. Yeah, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Tim Burton is normally really inspired by like the early German Gothic atmosphere in a lot of his movies. Mm-hmm. Like, especially uh, early, like, right when the movies uh, first started coming around in the early 1900s. And this movie, though, scenes of it are Tim Burton-ish to me. But I didn't, act, this feels like the least Tim Burton-ish movie out of all the movies I've seen that he do, that he's done. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that's fair. I, I think it still has a strong Tim Burton vibe, but I, I see what you mean. I, I, I can get down with that. This one definitely has that Southern Gothic vibe, which... Mm-hmm. And if Gothic, which I agree, is kind of his thing. This is yeah. the the Southern version of it that that Faulkner kind of uh, yeah. vibe. I could see that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
one thing I thought was really cool too was there was a parallel with uh, between the movie and actually Tim Burton apparently his father had died like two years before he started working on this movie and then right before he accepted the directing job on this his mom passed away like a month before that so he thought that this movie and dealing with the father-son relationship and talking about death was really cathartic for him yeah so that was pretty intense i'd love to see what the first screenplay was in comparison to the book and this because the book is like almost a book of short stories and then trying to uh, to sum it up which i think that's why the book is actually received well is because of the way it's written not because of the quality of what's in the book hmm. but the, mov- the movie though is i agree leagues better than the book for as uh, enjoyable and they changed a lot of dynamics uh inside the movie too that like actual the, the actual like what is the point of this movie they changed it completely i i felt like yeah well i noticed when you were reading the or not reading but when you were saying some of the the trivia about the uh, well the screenwriter in particular i just had, had hopped over to uh wikipedia while you were looking at that and i i noticed that he himself based the character of the, the older father the albert finney character on his own father who had passed as well so there's a i think there's this movie is just full of the people that help you know create it just their experiences of somebody who had passed in their life who was very special to them or maybe maybe they weren't special and they wish they were but there's just there's a i feel like this movie just really oozes that yeah it's kind of it really in this movie it's uh you know the the father's about to pass on and the son is trying to grasp like who were you? Who were or who like who are you really? Because you know when you grow up, you don't ever think about your parents as actually being people with their own lives and dreams and things like that and hopes and desires. They're just your parents because right. your life revolves revolves around you. You know that's like anyways. And so now with me getting ready to for my wife and I expecting our first child, I've been starting to have conversations with, with my dad about like what was he thinking and feeling when when he was first starting to have kids, and so just watching this movie and starting to cut through like your own memories of what was going on at the time when you were childhood, and then seeing like asking and seeing your your parents or, uh, or your your grandparents' view on different things when when you were a kid and you didn't understand anything, just seeing what was going on in that world was really interesting to me to, with that parallel. Yeah. And it and it kind of goes beyond that where this is a character and this kind of this kind of is going to end up again in my final thought for the for the movie but this is somebody who their parent kind of like our grandfather sir kind of the life of the party anytime there was a group of people he just he would just start talking and then he's just he's the center of attention not not always I, it could be in a selfish way you said in the book he's kind of a selfish man and. I don't know that storytellers are always that way. Martin Short, the actor Martin Short, comedian, seems that way too. And I've read articles about him to where when he walks into a room, he just starts talking and then everybody's just surrounding him and he's just the life of the party. So I think it can be hard as a kid to really know who your parent is because maybe they just are always talking about themselves in a, in a funny anecdote, anecdotal kind of way to people around them. Or, mm-hmm. Um, so that can be hard to really know. And that's his, this character. That's what he struggles with. Who really, who were you really? I just know all these crazy tales, but what really happened? Yeah. Speaking of, uh, and maybe you were going to bring this up. I don't want to steal your thunder on this. Uh, I guess I, I guess I get to steal your thunder. You should actually, I was, I was going to bring that up. Let me talk now. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So when he gets to the town of Spectre and he's walking up the main street and there's a, there's a banjo player playing oh no i know where you're going with this playing dueling banjos yes on the banjo ding 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 you're right that is steve martin it's pretty awesome (laughs) no oh that is the kid the banjo player from the movie deliverance which that song is popularized for uh that kid that he's just (laughs) he was just a goofy looking kid yeah. That got cast to play that, that role of the inbred looking hillbilly kid <laughs> in Deliverance. And yeah. then he totally had a cameo in this one. Let's see, that movie came out, what? John the, Borman made that movie in, what, 82? Was it earlier than that? Was it the 70s? I thought it was in the 70s, but here we are guessing again. God's sakes, Lord. We need to fire our, our 
Our, our researchers that, our are researchers. terrible. Yeah, they're freaking horrible. Yeah, you know, Jerry, you're out of here. <laughs> Forget you, man. No, you can't take the typewriter. Okay, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I was surprised at that when I read that. That was pretty yeah. awesome. Um, let's see what else. Let's let's do some info drop real quick. Because yeah. uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Eddie Vedder. This is a just a random note here. Composed the mo- the song "Man of the Hour." That's the song in the credits. Eddie Vedder is the main singer of Pearl Jam, and he did a wonderful soundtrack, by the way, to the movie "Into the Wild." That is a phenomenal soundtrack. That's a great movie. Uh, oh, I gotta look that one up. See if we can cover that one. Yeah, I think that was a great book too. It was fantastic. That book really affected me actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, any I think it came out in two thousand eight, something like that. So I think we can do that one. Anyways. Uh, yeah, great soundtrack. Check it out. But this song, though, is awesome as well. Uh, let's see what we got here. Got a couple extra things here. The movie, they filmed the entire movie in Alabama, actually. Yeah. They, did, they didn't film at Auburn because they wanted to, the people at Auburn wanted to read the script before they filmed, and they couldn't get a finished product to them before they needed to start filming, so they filmed at a different university who I have uh, just cleverly forgotten. And let's see. I think. Oh, did you know this movie was made into a uh, Broadway musical? I. Th- that sounds familiar. So I found this out interesting. I was at work today. A friend of mine actually has seen her high school actually put on this play. So she was oh, like, cool. she was just skipping class to watch the show, and she actually ended up really liking it. And so she's. Uh, that was like, so this is cool. the sh- the show is based off of the movie or based off the book? I think it's based off of both. I heard it's a little bit different than the movie, but it's kind of like similar. And sure. I mean, the main well, that, thing that is kind of a cool thing with Tim Burton. I feel like a lot of his movies could be they they have a stage play right kind of feel to them. They have this kind of bigger than life sets and and almost like a small large feeling if that makes sense dude that makes a lot of sense because i could totally see like edward scissorhands on stage that would totally right. make make sense yeah um, yeah you're right. like sweeney todd which was a broadway show right that he condensed into a movie it very much feels like like the broadway show which is awesome and i mean you could and then you could see batman being done as a broadway show right they did spider-man why not batman yeah why absolutely not? why not all right do them and- all <laughs> do them all <laughs> so right here i've got well just uh, two more pieces real quick ewan mcgregor actually so one thing is cool ewan mcgregor is kind of like tom cruise in that he does a lot of his actual own stuff when you see him doing something in a movie like for example moulin rouge like that was him saying oh yeah uh, that, that dude is disgusting his voice yeah is so good he is unbeatable. Pretty pretty incredible. So right now, it looks like he actually did hang out in the cage with the lion when they filmed those scenes, the little maniacal tasks around the circus. And he memorized those Cantonese lines like when he was talking to the twins. So that was pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. That's cool. I mean, it sounded like real Chinese. Yeah, at least to my, <laughs> at least to my English-speaking ears. It right, sounded, to my uneducated like ears. Right. And then that's cool too. They had a couple of different characters in the circus that were actual circus performers. Like the circus fat man was played by famed show sideshow attraction Howard Huge, and it was his final appearance actually as the professional man. So that one, you, it's like you see Edward wave at him when he leaves. He's like, hey, right? And oh, he's the guy scrubbing him in the, when he's in the toilet. Uh, the toilet when he's in the, the tub. Bath. The tub. Right. The tub. The yes. large wooden tub. The tub. The toilets were involved in this scene. No, not that scene. So that's pretty cool, though, that they that they did that. I didn't know this. Did you know that Tim Burton's actually afraid of clowns? No, but he's a wise man. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should always be afraid of clowns. That is the There's truth something of it. evil about them. Yes. Something demonic. Something, mm. something otherworldly. But yes. apparently he was one of the clowns, actually, when they go up to Danny DeVito and Edward's going to... He'd be like, hey, tell me who she is. And then he gets attacked by Danny DeVito as the werewolf. Right. He was one of the clowns in the background that, like, gets scared and runs off. Oh, really? Talk about conquering your fear. Yeah. For your art. Yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. But, yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Let me throw in a little, uh, I actually have not fact-checked this, but my wife, who has the eyes of an eagle, noticed this this time as we were watching it. But when 
when Edward is young, Edward is at Auburn professing his love. We're trying to, he asks Sandra to marry him. Mm-hmm. He's got all the daffodils out front. And then she, she says, Oh, when, when Roy from the office shows up to beat him up and she says, Oh, don't hurt him. And so he just takes, takes the beating. Right. Did you notice the tie he was wearing? Did you notice what was on the tie? Was it something to do with nightmare before Christmas? It certainly looked like it. So she saw that we, we wound it, paused it, and it totally looks like that that kind of wave shaped hill that Jack Skellington is on, that iconic curved hill that he's walking down. So from Nightmare Before Christmas. I can confirm that I did read that on the internet. That that's what other people are saying too. So all prob- right, it's probably on purpose then because. One thing they did on purpose was with the mechanical hand that has like all the gadgets on it, they intentionally didn't put scissors on it to make it so that people would make a connection between Edward Scissorhands and this. So nice. since Tim Burton is that meticulous with small details, it's probably it's probably they did it on purpose. Right. It seemed too perfect to be coincidental. Right. One thing also kind of jumping off that topic a bit. So this this movie reminded me of another movie that involves uh, a couple of old guys telling stories, and that would be the movie Secondhand Lions. Oh yes, which is it's a kids movie, but that's another one that once again's got a couple of old dudes that remind me of our grandfather, and it just I don't, I love that movie as well. That one has, uh, oh my gosh, Robert Duvall and Michael Caine. Yes. Yes. Nailed it. Wait, there you go. Up, bro. In for the save. <laughs> you the man. Tag out. Tag out. <laughs> I was, I was about to try, and I had their names in my head, and as soon as I was to say it, then they're gone. Another English actor that has a tremendous, tremendous Southern accent. Oh, he's he's so good. A little side. Oh, so good. Side Anyways. note. Tri- side note. Trivia, real quick. That's the first movie I actually saw Michael Caine in when I was younger. So I did not really? know he was British. Really? Yeah. Man, he's so good. He also does a killer uh, New England accent, as in the Cider House Rules. Oh, I that's killed- another, you know what, Michael Caine. Just I, he's another actor who, like Mister Ewan McGregor, he's probably been in some turd movies, but I don't think his acting has ever been shoddy. I like to sum it up this way: been around turds, never a turd. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> right? Folks. That, there you that go. Is, we're going to copyright that phrase. You'll see it on t-shirts soon. Going on a t-shirt, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and how about Steve Buscemi in this movie as the poet Norther Walden? No, I right? love Steve Buscemi in almost anything he's in. He is awesome. That man can do no wrong. Yeah. That man, that man could, could be a turd, and you would be like, best turd I've ever seen. Best turd. Legend. Legendary turd. He's in some forgettable roles. Like, for example, he's in Escape from L.A. that I briefly talked about a few episodes ago. And he's like... Nice, hey, nice yeah. way to bring it back. He's okay. Yeah, he's okay in that. But the but this movie, though, is fantastic role. Like, the part where they're just all eating apple pie and they're just <laughs> rocking back and forth. Yeah. And he, like, looks up at the lady when she offers some pie and he's, like, smiles and he's, like, without saying anything, he's like, no thanks. Yeah. Uh, that whole scene, I was busting up at he- his... So funny. He is amazing. And then to jump ahead when Edward runs into him again in the 70s when he's a traveling salesman and they're in the bank together and and uh, Steve Buscemi decides to rob the bank because he's right. broke. What are you doing that. here? I'm robbing the bank. <laughs> and then he just gets roped into being the accomplice. But that whole scene right there, and I don't know if it's just because when I saw this movie, I was just jonesing on Tarantino. And mm-hmm. it totally feels like a Pulp Fiction scene to me. I mean, you mean Reservoir Dogs? Or Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Well, I, I did see one note on there that, um, yeah, I do. I think that Pulp Fiction actually is one of Quentin Tarantino's, if not his best, one of his best movies for sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I agree. That's funny, though. In this movie, Steve Buscemi gets away clean, barely gets any money, and the opposite with Reservoir Dogs, gets away <laughs> with a ton of money and does not get away clean. Right. Why they call you Mr. Pink? Why you got to be a cool killer? I think I just butchered that line. I think it's Mr. That's okay. Anywho. Love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. um, But that scene, I just, the first time I saw the movie, even that, I vividly remember just being like, oh, this is so cool. It's totally like Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. He just, it just had that early Tarantino vibe to it. And I don't know if that was Buscemi 
being, you know, just vibing on that as well. I don't know, but it was great. Right. Oh, total throwback to the Patriot. Man, I'm just doing it's a, it's a throw throwback Wednesday apparently. Yeah, nice. So you know the part where uh, Gabriel shoots Terry T- Tavington and then like he walks over there slowly to finish him off and Tavington kills him. Yes. Spoiler alert. Uh, when we're walking out, when when he's walking over there, my wife is like double tap, double tap. She's like you always <laughs> shoot more than once, <laughs> and that reminded me of the scene from Steve Buscemi when he goes around the corner and the cops are after him and he freaking unloads his gun. He's just like bang, 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 bang. like the whole. Oh, yeah the whole freaking clip and right. like runs off that is the first time i ever saw that in the movie where like somebody just completely unloads their gun and so for that will forever every time now that my wife yells double tap at a movie i think of steve buscemi just unloading yeah yeah pretty amazing stuff what else we got for big fish there's, there's actually a lot well, to talk about this movie there it is because every this okay i completely feel like since we're on the since what we're about here on the midnight watch podcast is discussing these movies that are a midnight watch this movie when it comes on almost any point in this movie is worth sitting down and watch and finishing that segment Mm -hmm. because each little story that is told in this movie is is so amazing it's so much fun yes you can jump in almost at any time in this movie i feel like this is an ideal midnight watch I, I agree and I disagree with you on two, diff- two different things sure. with that. So, like, all the little stories that happen, like, with the circus, the big man, and uh, all the different stuff, Spectre, all of those are, like, easy to jump in and it, because they're so different and quirky. It's awesome. But then, like, the main plot, though, where he deals with his father uh, slowly getting close to dying, that uh, is... It's a little to me actually that slowed down the movie. It's 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 pivotal because it's so important to the end of the movie, but it actually kind of slowed it down to where I was, I, I I didn't get bored, but I wasn't as connected as like with the big fish sequences. Mm-hmm. But the end of the movie though, I this movie actually got a lot of emotional reaction to me, especially because of the scene when the father wakes up out of the coma and he's like. How does it? How does the story end? And that's when you realize, like, the father's full of BS in the fact of like he doesn't know how he's gonna die and he's afraid. And then his son, in that moment, sees that like, uh, sees he's being super vulnerable, and he's right. totally there for him, and he comforts him by telling him this whopper of a tale, and that it leads in shows how much his son loves him because he gives his father what his father was asking for and needed and his what he needed yeah right then and that's when his father was like died peacefully because also to that scene connected his uh his son with his father which actually if you allow me real quick the the scene too when his son interviews jenny is the i think that's the most important scene out of the entire movie i agree i Yes, uh, finish your finish your thought before uh, uh, I steamroll uh, but, you with my thought. Okay. Uh, uh, but but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I think that's so important is because he, the son, even mentions to other people that he thinks that his dad was a womanizer and had affairs because right. his dad's so friendly. And in that scene, though, Jenny straight up tells him, though she made a move, and her dad says the classic line of, or her dad doesn't say it, but he he shuts her down gently and nicely and says like. The only woman I love is my wife. Like I'm a I'm a one one woman man. And then somebody right. later says there's only two women for for Edward, and that's his wife and everybody else. And right. I think that's awesome. Which the book, unfortunately, he actually does totally have like a separate life with Jenny, and so he's kind of a scoundrel of a man. And they right. completely change that in the movie. But the but Jenny though sets that up. So, so basically, the son goes to talk to a stranger, who then reveals to him. The character of his father so then he's able to have that intimate moment with his father on his father's deathbed right and then of course the big reveal at the end of the movie of the stories actually were true they were just exaggerated versions of the stories yeah so i agree ste- okay steamroll ahead go ahead steamroll and mine no mine actually dovetails nicely with what oh. you were saying in that uh, a couple of points three points uh, four and a half to be exact. So, <laughs> one thing I noticed in this movie, and this is something that I have just come to learn about my grandfather, who uh, I've definitely, you know, idolized at times in my life. Just he, he was a great man. Definitely had his faults, 
And one thing I've learned the older I get is that a good man has faults too, but it doesn't make him any less great. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can admit your mistakes and admit your faults and, you know, in a, in a humble way, I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. And you definitely see that about Edward's character and she's able to tell him that till he, till his son, uh, what's his son's name? Will, uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan from, Dr. from Watchmen. Manhattan. Yeah, right. that's <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Dr. Manhattan, Billy Crudup plays an amazing realist. His dad is the fantastical, you know, crazy tall tales, larger than life yeah. person. And his son is this amazing realist. And he's not, he's not too judgmental. I mean, it seems like there's that part of him that tries to be graceful about, all right, say your, have your fun, say your thing. Mm -hmm. But he's a hard realist. And then it's amazing, like you said, when he gets to hear Jenny's side of the story and telling what a you know, what a good person her dad, his dad really was. And then that ties in also at the end of the movie at the funeral, when he sees all these characters that he was, he's heard about his whole life. These wild characters show up as real people. Yeah. And then he starts to hear their stories. I mean, it's kind of implied, but he's just, he's seeing that, wow, he, my father really positively impacted all these people. He was a yeah. good man. Yes. And maybe he didn't learn that before he died, but he definitely, between his conversation with Jenny and then seeing that, in a short amount of time, he really learned a lot about his father and and that there was some respect that was gained there. And then one last little thing, it, as far as how Edward passed, I mean, I we've been around uh, kind of a fair amount of death in the last several years between yeah. our well, three of our four grandparents and our mom. A lot of people have passed recently and not all of them the way they would have liked or what I'm trying to say is I feel like there is something magical and beautiful about dying on your own terms. Yes. And we, we should all be so lucky to have that opportunity to pass the way that you want to pass. That sounds, I don't care what it sounds like. That's what I think. And no, I think you're absolutely right. I, th I think that's not weird in a negative sentimental way at all. I think it's true. I think that, not everybody gets to go out the way they want to. Right. And the way, I love the way you said it, how he was kind of afraid to pass. And yeah. And the way that his son was able to pick him up in his weak, his weakest moment and carry him, metaphorically and in, and in the story that he yeah. tells to his father, he carries him down into the river and releases him. He totally ties up his, the end of his father's life in a nice tidy bow, just the way that his father had lived his life at least in the story so you see that relief in in his father's eyes when he passes and that you know there is that love for his son and and that that peace so yes it's that's very pretty amazing it's really cool i i just thought about this right now do they ever show edward's parents in the movie they do uh yeah in the hospital i think when he's born oh yeah Right, I forgot. I forgot he, about that. And he squirts out and goes <laughs> sliding down the down you the hall. That awesome, that oh, awesome yeah. song that's, <laughs> that's kicking in. So to rain on the parade of this episode, because I'm not a realist, but I got to be the realist in this episode right now. Um, so the book comparison to movie, the end sequence when he tells his dad like how that ends like that's different it's not as big it definitely more entails that he's his father is turning into a fish as he's taking him to the river um so that's pretty cool but then like all the people that looking at him is different there's no circus in this movie in the book there's a couple sentences about how his father had traveled all over the world but there's no sequences where he's overseas and he meets the the two twins and he gets away with espionage there's what else is there it's really downplayed his relationship with the giant well the first time he goes to specter is actually i don't believe it's even specter it's just another town that's like sucking people in and steve buscemi's character gets a one to two sentence mention in the stories and that's it there's no oh, wow. bank no bank robbery when he's a when he's a salesman and he's selling the mechanical arm with all the uh, what's it do's it's on it yeah uh, that's not in the story either so 
all of the classic lines, I would say 90% of the amazing one-liners from this movie are not in the book. So I give massive, massive credit to the charm of this movie being John August adapting Daniel Wallace's book. Sure. So Daniel Wallace yeah. is in the movie, though. He is actually the uh, teacher at the school that Edward's love is uh, she's at what one of the classes it shows her, the oh teacher. right and he's that's doing Dan a slide projector okay yeah that that's daniel wallace so daniel wallace was actually on set during this and he got to play cricket with uh with awen mcgregor and albert finney and he had a lot of fun doing that so he had a really good experience so i'm happy for him that he did that's very cool yeah well good stories last forever that's uh that's kind of what i took from it and what i take from our grandfather's life i guess we got to dedicate this this episode to sir yeah, we really should. So this one's this one's for you, sir. There we go. To serve with love. To serve with love. Another thing about the character of Edward from the position of his son's point of view is when I was talking about him kind of being self-centered, it does the book does provoke thoughts of someone trying to find meaning in their own life as they're going through life, specifically as they start to get older and they start realizing that life is really not about them, that they are a small minor character in the big scheme of life. Yeah. And so Edward's character is definitely, that's why he's making the big fish stories. That's why uh, he always feels tired when he comes home. Like he loves his wife, he loves his son, but he can't wait to leave and go on more adventures in that story, in the book. And in the movie, they change his character drastically, where he is madly in love with his wife. She's always been the only one for him. That it's like movie magic, like the scene where everything freezes in the circus. I love right. that scene. It's a great scene. So much fun. Not in the book. So, um, yeah, most of the scenes that I really like about this movie are not in the book. So, right. yeah, but they t completely change his character. He is 100% only in love with his wife. And the one thing... That I did like about the book, though, is he does care for his son a fair amount. His wife is a minor character in the book, and his son, though, is definitely, he does does definitely care for his son. So they do have the father-son dynamic. That is the main thing that the book is about. But the movie, they, they stretch his character so you can tell, like, they got that classic scene in the, in the bathroom when he's, like, chilling in the bathtub and his wife comes in. Right. And they have that conversation. He's all like, I was drying out. And then she like gets in the bathtub with him fully clothed. And they just have this. It's a really sweet romantic oh, scene of yeah. like, them, an older couple. And they're still, still yeah, madly very in love romantically. At, at, yeah. the end of their, at the end of their life together. Yeah. Props to Jessica Lange. She's amazing in this movie. And she's she doesn't have a whole lot of parts, but she definitely shines in the few scenes that you see her. Yeah. Now, everybody, I would definitely say is very well cast in this movie because the small characters like for example danny devito normally kind of steals the show when he's in right. a scene and he doesn't in this movie and that and that's credit to him because they he doesn't play a crazy quirky crazy character like when he's the penguin and stuff like that he plays this guy who just seems like a real dude who's yeah, I mean, he's got some funny lines in it, you know. Like, sure, plays, he, he's you definitely know, a quirky character, but he's he's just a he's a hustler just trying to make a living. Yeah, do you know what undentured service means? <laughs> Und undentured servitude. <laughs> servitude, like that's <laughs> great. You're all right. Sign this. Sign here. But um, <laughs> yeah, but he's the characters are great, and this movie though did really help Ewan McGregor to really start to flesh out him as a character actor, which is awesome because he was Obi Wan in Star Wars a couple years before. And right. I don't remember when Down with Love came out and a couple other movies around that time. But yeah, it was around. It was around that time. But I mean, the biggest one before then would have been Train Spotting. That was what ninety six, and I think that's the movie that brought him over to America. Yeah, that's the one that definitely put him on the radar. Yeah, but the one that definitely like put him out there is it was you know Obi Wan. That was huge. Yes, which by the way, I still think he was perfectly cast as the young Obi Wan. Sure. It I'm also forward to that season coming out with him on, uh, or the show rather on Disney Plus. Should be dude for real. I am so psyched about that. But bring okay. it back around. Yes. So uh, I wanted to add to what you were saying about how Edward, how you know his stories might have been a little bit based out of his lack of, I don't know, not confidence, but just what have you accomplished in life and whatnot. But something, one thing that I felt looking at his character as the traveling salesman 
who's gone all the time because he the son even mentions it that you know my dad was gone all the time traveling and missed a lot of my life but i sort of felt like edward telling these stories to his son was almost like its own act of love towards his son he worked hard for his family he's he's gone a lot and being a traveling salesman you know you might see uh, a lot of people and meet a lot of people but it it might not be the most interesting line of work to your kid especially selling a knickknacky tool thing you know right but when edward was around he would leave his son with these you know exciting tall tales of his adventures and it was like a gift for his son something for will to hold on to until he was back again and you know not all gifts are perfect but the morals and characters of the stories were true and then but as a kid at the same time you might only remember the fantastic part of them and then also this is kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the show that if your father is always the life of the party and the center of attention you might feel left out and overshadowed all the time and that can kind of mess with your confidence too a little bit so even though it seemed like this was a gift from a father to a son trying to to leave something with him while you know while he was gone it just it kind of backfired on him a little bit too which that happens with our kids we try to do good things for our kids and we screw it up and then my last thought was this this was kind of a heavy part of the of a thought that i had as we watched this movie me and my family but will's 11th hour reconciliation with his father is such a beautiful thing and in real life not all of us are so lucky um you know, we don't always get to say the perfect goodbye to our loved ones. Sometimes they pass suddenly. Sometimes there's a lot of unresolved questions and hurtful actions. Sometimes we don't find out, you know, who that person really was until after they're gone. And sometimes not even then. Sometimes we discover that they weren't who we thought they were and it's not a positive, happy thing. And then um, just you have to learn to accept this and forgive them. And that can take, you know, a lifetime of its own. And then sometimes there's that person that is the legend we always thought they were and the f faults and all. And we do get the opportunity to say our goodbyes and, and tie up all the loose ends into a final satisfactory bow. You know, as satisfactory or as satisfying rather as saying goodbye to someone you don't want to go can be. But I, I don't know how often that happens where we get that perfect goodbye and then they go. Yeah, I don't think that happens as much as we'd like to, but that's why we like movies so much because sometimes they get to paint real life in better light than than right. it is but also you know not to be too much of a downer though like everything does have a cost and that's the the gamble of life you know you just gotta do it with the best choices you can because that's all you got you know yeah so this movie does really uh it's it's it is a it is a fantastical tale in multiple ways and i did enjoy this movie a lot more this viewing than I did before. So let's roll right back into in our final thoughts. Um, Josh, so 2003, I think it was August 2003, did the movie hit its mark? So like we were discussing right at the beginning, I feel like this movie was kind of a B, maybe not a total smash hit, but I think it was it was right up there. It was, it was a good movie, you know, above average, I feel like. And it does seem like people that i've talked to who like tim burton you know this movie always comes up as one of their it's kind of one of their favorite movies even though they may not immediately think of like you know it's my top five movie but i feel like this movie's kind of gained in popularity as it's gone so yeah i would give it a b for when it came out as far as hitting the mark when it came out yeah i i honestly don't really know i mean it made money which is the bottom line for, sure. for people if it hit its mark it made an extra 50 50 mil so it was a successful film. Uh, I think I got to give it a C for it coming out because I don't think this movie like blew away expectations. But also too though, this wasn't a blockbuster designed movie as well. No, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be that kind of a movie. Yeah, this kind of reminds me. It was just like, yeah, like you said, like I think it grows in status as the, t the years right. go on. I had a friend. Well, it's from, a it's a feel good movie. Yeah, I had a friend from uh, Half Price Books where when I. Um, I was buying the movie, and he was like, dude, anytime I watch the movie, I just freaking ball because oh, yeah. of my relationship with my father. And so I was like, I thought that was pretty cool, actually, hearing the that story from him while he was talking about Because the, the movies that emotionally uh, affect you are so individual, and it, it's such, right. such a special thing when you get to share emotions with somebody else through a shared experience. And some movies do give us a lot of those shared experiences. 
Right. And that's where also, as far as how we perceive these movies now and also our personal enjoyment of these movies, how, like, even how we're rating them. Yeah. It just, it's so individualistic. It's, it's hard to, that's why there's certain movies that people love to death. And even though maybe if you took a poll, most people would be like, eh. But for yeah. some people, that is their movie. That is, that's, mm. that's why know. we find their the masterpiece. Yeah, that's why we find the critics that we love and we follow them because it's uh, life is definitely a lot more enjoyable when you share life with other people. So right. uh, opinions are fun. So uh, what do you think? Uh, do you think it hits the mark now? Does it has it aged well? Is yeah, it a good movie now. Yeah, I definitely think this movie is definitely aged very well. Um, I, I agree with what you were saying earlier. I think it's it's a it's a low key cult classic because I right. don't think of this movie when I think of Tim Burton movies. But whenever somebody mentions it, I never hear anybody where they're like, oh, that turd of a film? Uh, right. Yeah, no. Like Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I like that movie. Or, oh, I love that movie. Like, it's just, it's a low-key classic. Sure. So I give it a give it a B for, uh, for is it still relevant today? Because it's got a timeless story. Sure. So, yeah, I give it a B. What about you? Uh, man, I'm going, I'm going all in on this one, man. I, I do fully believe this movie is still relevant. That story, that story of reconciliation, I think is, is a hundred percent relevant today. Uh, me personally, this is definitely a midnight watch for me, uh, watchable at any moment. Uh, so oh. I, I gotta go, I gotta give this one an A, man. Ooh, man. First A of the year for, yeah. for brother Josh right there. Yeah. So here we are. Episode Six. What is this? Six. Episode six. <laughs> and uh, I believe our first A. First A for Josh. There we go. You heard it, everybody. Um, check it out. Big Fish. For me, um, I got to say... This is a personal enjoyment, right? Yeah, personal enjoyment. Personal enjoyment. So I wouldn't watch this movie all the time, but I am very fond of this film. Like, it is a... It definitely is a good movie. Uh, just to be honest, I think I got to give it a... Give it a give it a c plus in this okay because like it's a great film it's be it's it's more than a solid film in my opinion but i don't think i watch this movie a lot too because i've only watched this movie like maybe okay so maybe this might change the more you watch it it's one of my wife's favorite films so i know i'm going to watch this movie a fair amount um because yeah you might watch it more if you start watching it with your kids in the future that's true and so like yeah yeah like that it could and that's the thing about that's so why we, we specifically split up our rating to three different ratings because uh, personal enjoyment constantly changes. So sure. they're you know so anyways so yeah I give it a C plus right now. So we got an A A from Josh and we got a C plus from me. Well no that wasn't even personal enjoyment but my personal enjoyment is oh, also dang. it is also an A. What? Shut, have... I know I know shut the front door. It's dang. Oh, so man. and. It, it, because of its its relevance to me and my family, I mean, we we watched this movie, and we all had tears in our eyes. We're all just trying to hold it together because it, it was so emotionally impactful and making us remember Sir, and just everything about this movie. We're all of us in tears. So because of that, and and the fact that I've it's a special movie for my family. We've watched it probably you know, at least half a dozen times in the last several years. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hit with our family. So See, it gets an A, it gets an A in my book. I always think that's really special when we, uh, when you have a family favorite that you keep going back to throughout the years and the whole family really loves it. That's a, right. That is a, you don't see, you don't get those very often. Right. I agree. And so. then there's the movies that our dad would continually watch, making us watch it as a family movie. That may not have always been our <laughs> our favorite as a family. And that's the difference between adults and children. <laughs> <laughs> that being so. said, there is a film that our dad loves that we did watch all the time that I still love to this day. So, Candle Shoe, yes. Not that one. Oh, so, that is a fun movie. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, you know, we actually watched that movie a couple of years ago, my wife and I. And yeah, it's, it's actually still a pretty decent film. Yeah. That's cool. I, yeah, I would like to see it again as what well. What film were you talking about? I'm talking about the superhero classic, Condor Man. Ooh, yes. And that is on our list of movies to review, so we will get and to that In fact, one. We, will, we might have to get our dad on the show with us to review that movie, because that was kind of a... That was pretty much a family favorite. I mean, I don't know. Maybe... I don't know if our sisters enjoyed it as much, but... 
Yeah, that I sure one. Did. Well, it's very quotable, and so right. yeah. Even though def- no one will know what we're talking about, it's very quotable. <laughs> That's those are the best films. When, when you we do the quoting. when we do a quote for that movie, when we set it up the week before, and we do the quote, no one's gonna know what we're talking about. Right. Nobody. In fact, I feel like we need to give something away if somebody emails us what they think the movie is, if they're correct on that one. That's true. Yeah, this might be worth a gift card thing because, like, yeah, I don't know anybody who's seen that movie. <laughs> it's one of those like. Disney films from the 80s that, yeah. Early 80s that tanked. It was it was such a turd in the box office that, yeah. And, yeah, they, well, and it was even, it was it was written and it had an ending to where it was set up to where they were going to have a whole slew of these movies come out. And apparently everyone hated it. I think it was very ahead of its time. We, yeah, it definitely was ahead of its time. Let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's save it for that one because that's going to yes. be a lot of fun. I agree. But okay, uh, let's give a well, quote. Let's give yeah, a. Uh, let's do the let's do the quote for the movie we'll be discussing next week. So, actually, I I think you you are doing way better with the voices than I am. Like this big fish one, I was like all over the place, and I watched the movie, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that guy said it like real serious, and I'm all like, what are you talking about? And and then I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of a serious conversation. So no, this one's all you, man. Like, all right, all um, right, I'll give it my best shot. All here right. we go. Whoa, whoa. You better watch what you say about my car. She's real sensitive. There we go. There you go. So if you know what that movie is, uh, send us a email, comment, do anything you can to get a hold of us. Um, and uh, and if you don't, then tune in next week because we'll be talking about it for sure. Right. And then you'll know. Yeah. So that's about it for today. If you want to check out Big Fish uh josh you uh you rented you rented i movie? had to rent this one because we tore apart our blu-ray dvd collection we swore that we owned this one and we could not find it so we actually paid money it was totally worth it good money folks cash money cash so money. i yeah i as i mentioned before i actually did own this movie so that was pretty cool got to break that one open but it is where did you watch this movie uh we just we rented it on prime amazon on prime was it like four bucks something like that something like that it was worth it. Sweet. Okay, cool. Well, thanks. Special thanks to our sound producer, Jan Colvin. Yeah. Jan Colvin. <laughs> His mom gonna... might be named Jan. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> bam! Bam, bam! <laughs> um, hey, we didn't reference The Matrix this episode. That's lame. I did. I did earlier. I said it once. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Uh, okay. Special thanks to our sound producer, Jay Colvin. And if you enjoyed this episode... We'd love it if you shared with your friends or anyone that you think would like it. Yes, please hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating, please. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, uh, we'd also love any kind of review. Well, any kind of positive review. Any kind kind words that you have for us that you'd love to leave in a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And uh, we said it earlier, but if you'd like to contact us, please email us at themidnightwatchpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for listening. You have a terrific weekend. And as always, keep up the watch.